When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name is Daniel. It's your boy, Double H, half of that hope. You know, yesterday was weird. <laughs> for, for me, no. anyway. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we're, we're now recording this on Tuesday. So I'm, I'm still going to say we do this every Tuesday because now it's the actual truth. And do you know why this is also, oh, sorry, but do you know why this is so smart? Because Monday games. That, thank you. Because <laughs> so, 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 if we had recorded on Monday, which we always do, and you miss a huge talking point. That's a massive talk talking point. Mm-hmm. And, and also for some week, strange, strange reason, stories always seem to break on Monday or Tuesday. Like that's Monday. Some big news. I think you know what it is? Monday is the start of the, the, the week. Mm-hmm. So there's also something about Monday or Tuesday, but Monday or Tuesday, something breaks. So it's always smart to like, let's see. Let's let's have let's let's Monday breathe and see what comes again. Cristiano Ronaldo Monday. Mm. <laughs> so and next week Liverpool Manchester United is go. on Monday, right? So yeah. it and we're not running into the teeth of both Champions League games. Um, follow the podcast on Twitter. All the links are in the description. I'm at Daniel to look. Half Hope can be found at halfhopefootballhut.com. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Carl. He's been here for the past couple of weeks, holding us down. Um, it is what it is. And check out the talking with that I did with the homie, uh, Muso Kwanza. That was that was really fun. That was good. So thank you to him for coming on. Let's start with Manchester United, bro. <laughs> it happened on Saturday, and it, I'm still I'm still laughing about how bad that was. Manchester, man. You can blame the Glazers, but you can't blame the Glazers. It's for, because basically, so in one sense, it's not their fault. They've Man United have spent over a, a billion, like in the last 10 years. So this isn't a crunky situation, like spend the money, spend the money. So they are spending the money. But now, there's no point in spending money if you don't use the money well. For example, Christmas. I get a present for someone that's like, let's say, 4,000 pounds or $4,000. And it's just something that's, yeah, you know, they use it, it's all cool. And then they discard it over if a few months. But... I give something to someone for like $50 or 50 pounds and they use that thing every single day and it's totally useful. It's not about how much you spend. It's about how you spend that money and what you use that money to um, and and how you actually use that money. So just spending money, physically say, hey, I spent billions. Okay, but what did you spend it on? And who did you acquire? So Woodward, was that the right guy to hire? Yeah, okay, yeah. You may have hired Woodward and he, he may have spent all this money. But if you don't hire the right people who you know can get the right people in place, then you spending all that money doesn't make, make any sense. Luis Campos, he is known for finding players. So that is why he was responsible for how good that Monaco team was because he look at all the guys that he found and look at where they are right now and so forth. Mm-hmm. And look at what he's doing with for, for, for PSG. So United have to. It's it's a, it's a tricky one, and this basically this goes back to Ralph. So I remember me and Nick's Nick's we were we were recording something with Nick's, and that day 
the day that Ralph was hired, I said to Nick's, hire Conte for two years. And in those two years, figure out who you now want for the long term. Because you have Cristiano in the team, let Conte maximize Cristiano. So mm. if he can maximize Cristiano, boom. I will guarantee you that United would have won some, somewhat of a trophy with Conte and Cristiano. Then once Cristiano now eventually leaves, you can now bring in your more long-term manager. The issue you have is, if you're hiring Ten Hag, you have to be 2,000% sure that he gets his targets. Because I was speaking to some Dutch guys, and they said that Ten Hag doesn't buy the... He doesn't pick out and scout the players at Ajax. They come from the academy and guys helping with the scouting and player acquisition. He isn't a guy who can, okay, man, I can go and find... No, no, so you, you, you need to give him the right players to succeed. Ten Hag isn't going to find some kind of obscure player that no one knows about and somehow make him fit in. No, he needs guys who are in that Ajax vein, which is all he knows. Mm. Like, that's what all he knows is Ajax, you know? So, <laughs> because by the time Mourinho came to Real Madrid, he had Chelsea experience, Inter Milan experience, FC Porto experience. He had experience in three different countries. So he knew that, oh, I've, I've got a wealth of experience of acquisition. I have succeeded and failed in three different environments. I'm coming to Real Madrid with a wealth of experience and knowledge. Ten Hag just has the Eredivisie and that's it. Okay, yeah, you made the UCL semis. Still, all you have is in the Eredivisie and now you're coming to the toughest league in the world. In a team that needs a massive makeover. So the situation you now have is you need a manager. I asked a very tough question, and I'm going to ask this to you. Mm. If United don't get any more players, and this is all that they have, so, so they can't acquire any more players, they are stuck with this group. Forget about who plays better football. Who will get the better results with these players, Ten Hag or Allardyce? Okay. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, it's, it's disrespectful to say Allardyce, isn't it? I don't know, but I understand what you're saying. I, I I get the point. Is that Allardyce is a guy who can make a good meal with any ingredients you give him. Or maybe not a good meal, but a meal that will not relegate you. <laughs> no, 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 no. The so, meal tastes horrible. This is like this is like bangers and mashed, eat. fish yeah, and chips, eat. black pudding. This is horrible food, but you're not starving anymore. Right. You're starving, you eat the food, it doesn't taste great, but you're famished. Whereas Ten Hag will give you something that may poison you <laughs> and make you even much more hungry. So I'd rather eat disgusting food that um, cures my um, starvation than be poisoned. So the thing with Ten Hag is we, do, we don't know. We don't know the, the future. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to do some math here <laughs> and trying to be like Nostradamus because who knows? He could get results with these guys and these guys Terrible are Terrible album, by the way. What is it? When he said Nostradamus, I thought Nostradamus. And I was like, oh, 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 no, that's <laughs> nasty. Now. So my thing is this. Um, my math is Ajax, Eredivisie. He has a philosophy and he sticks to his philosophy. He only has a plan A. It's either plan A or bust. You're not coming to United. You don't have your targets. You don't have the place who can execute your, your, your plan. You cannot make McFred play in the way that you want them to play with the kind of football that you want to play. And Ten Hag's football, the midfield is very important in terms of how they pass, move the ball and progress the ball. So if he's stuck with his players, I'm not sure how he squeezes out results against far more seasoned, better managers in the Premier League. 
I'll I'll start on the lower level and we can work our way up. So on the player level, there are people in this team that were under Fergie, Mourinho players, Van Hal players, Ten Hag players, Oli players. I don't think Ragnick got anybody in January. But there's just there's a bunch of mismatch or mix and match players in this team. And it needs somebody to have enough time and I suppose diligence to remove the players that need to go and to build their own team. Because the way it looks right now, there's just it's there's there's too many different eras competing against each other with different ideas and the pieces don't match well, obviously. That's why they're <laughs> bottom of the league. <laughs> to 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 the Ten Hag point as we as we kind of go up a level. I think you brought up something key when you when, when when you were mentioning the Dutch guys. I looked at his team at is it is it Oitrecht Oltrecht FC FC Oitrecht I think it it was the it was the team that he managed after he was at Bayern but before he was at Ajax. The formation that he generally used was a four four two diamond. He had Sebastian Haller before he went to Ajax, although that's that's maybe. A little bit of a point of that he he likes buying players that he's known before, and the players that he knows before are from the Eredivisie. And then he goes to Ajax, and if you look at the formations that he used, he rarely used four four two diamond. His formation at Ajax is not his formation at Ajax. Ajax have their own style of football. I've said this for years. The best run football club in Europe is probably Bayern Munich. But if you make it relative to the resources and the population and everything that they have, the best one club in Europe is Ajax. They have how many European championships? They create how many great footballers? They've had golden generation after golden generation, legend after legend, and how Ajax has shaped football, whether it's with Cruyff or whomever. Their style of football is pronounced and embedded deeply into what that thing is. A manager doesn't come and say, this is what I'm going to do to Ajax. Uh-uh. You're doing what they want. So when you look at his formations at Ajax, it's all 4-3-3. That's what they play. The manager, I guess, has his own style or signature on how that 4-3-3 looks. So Ten Hag can come in and say, Martinez doesn't work as a DM at Ajax. So I'm going to make him the center back. But he can't necessarily change how Ajax play, not even necessarily, he can't because it's from the top down. And as you say, the academy players are are coming through. They're happy to sell somebody because they know someone's coming through. Look at Ziyech, for example, like we'll sell him two, three years too late to Chelsea. But we know that we have, whether it's, uh, is it the Anthony kid or David Neres? There's always somebody that they have that's coming up. At Manchester United, that pipeline does not work. Everything is on the head of the manager because now we're stepping up another level. At board level and ownership level, there's a complete disconnect between footballing process and money. Like they're happy to sacrifice the footballing process for money. The Glazers have taken countless millions out of the club and obviously Manchester United make a lot of money so you can kind of get away with it as you said at the very at the very beginning they spent over a bill they spent 1.5 billion euros in the last 10 years on players 
So it's not a matter of willingness. It's a matter of competency, which is almost worse. Like, I'd rather be Arsenal than United. Because Arsenal is like, no, you're clearly against us here because you're not spending the money. And more recently, Arsenal have like started spending a little bit more freely. But with United, it's not a matter of spending. They'll spend the money. It's just on for who and on what. But because there's no structure as Ajax, you know, where they bring back old legends like Van der Sar or whoever it is, there's no club structure. It's just dependent on who the manager is. And the manager dictates who they buy and the style of football that they play, which then circles back around to my original point about the players. The squad can't compete or look good. If you have seven, six ideas competing against each other, and then you have a manager who's never really had to create a philosophy for Manchester United, maybe you can do that for FC Utrecht. It starts with a U. Maybe you could do that there. But you're trying to fix big Manchester United, you know, with little help from the boards and a squad of players. It's like a quilt, a patchwork quilt. It's not going to keep you warm. That's, I, th- I think that's the, the thing, man. It's like... Okay, so, so you're saying that he can't build a philosophy at United. I don't know. But he can build one for U- U- Utrecht or something. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying if you give... If... <laughs> what, what, what am I trying to say? The expectations of the place that you're at matters. Mourinho at Roma has a different set of expectations than Mourinho did at Manchester United. Mourinho at Spurs had a different set of expectations than he did at Manchester United. At Manchester United, you're expected to build something that can, that can compete and win the Premier League, the Champions League, etc. When you go to Spurs, it's just win us a trophy. When you go to Roma, it's can you please get us into the top four? And if we win anything, we'll treat you as if you know, you're a Roman god. I'm saying if you take Ten Hag and you put him where he's been in the past, Ajax... The, the, the expectation is we need you to be better than PSV and go as deep in the Champions League as you can. If you put him on a lower team like FC Utrecht or Eintracht, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, oh, the expectation... No, 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 no. That, isn't that Nazis? Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look up the name of this team, bro. Okay, Eric Ten Hag, Wikipedia, Utrecht? <laughs> Utrecht. I don't know. But anyway, that, that that that's where he was. The 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 level of expectation at that club, you he probably can build something that will meet the objectives of that club. My point is that Manchester United, he's not being asked to compete, he's being asked to win. And the structure, both at board level and the playing staff, and his own experience, not that he can't do it, I don't know, but it's gonna be exceedingly difficult. Which is why your point about Sam Allardyce is funny on its surface. And I know you're reaching at that as it's kind of a joke, but there is some truth to it that Sam Allardyce does have experience taking a bunch of shit. And I don't mean shit in a disrespectful way. He has experience going into a a nasty situation and trying to get points. But that's his objective. Ten Hag's objective is to play. We want to play beautiful football, good looking football, this, 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 this. How can you do that? We're going to play beautiful football with Cristiano Ronaldo, Marcus Rashford, Fred McTominay, whatever Bruno thinks he's up to. We're going to play beautiful football with Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire. And I mean, how you can't, how is that possible? And then playing beautiful football on top of objectives. So someone like Bielsa, 
plays wonderful football. He got relegated because Leeds oh, – he got sacked because Leeds were going to get relegated. The extent to which your football can look beautiful, but then not meeting the objectives, that can sometimes conflict. So we say all that to say, protest the Glazers all you want. I kind of agree with the protests. Ultimately, the Glazers are a hindrance to Manchester United being where they want to be. At the same time, you do have to understand the limitations of what Eric Ten Hag is capable of doing under these circumstances. And the question is, does he get the time to learn what he needs to do, learn Manchester United, learn the players he needs to keep? Or does this go so bad so quickly, kind of like, uh, you know, when Eric DeBoer, uh, not Eric DeBoer, Frank DeBoer, where he was like, you know, seven matches, seven defeats, zero goals. If it goes like that and he just gives up or quits or gets sacked, well, then no, I think... The key thing is, does he finish? Does he either resign or does he get sacked? You see, I can see him resigning because he's not used to losing. I couldn't imagine how many games he lost in the, what, four or five years he was with Ajax. In the league, you could probably count them on your hands and toes, fingers and toes, how many games he lost. If he lost more than 20, I'd be surprised. He's going to catch three in a row. They're not beating Liverpool on Monday. And Liverpool look terrible. We could probably go there now. But Manchester United aren't beating them. I don't know what you think about that, but it's going to be 0 for 3. That's that's the kind of game that United could win. They should lose and expect <laughs> them to lose and get beat. But is it the kind of game that they somehow win like a 1-0 or it ends up being like a 1-1? Something like mm. that. But they should lose. No, they sh- it should be 3 else. It should be 0 for 3. It should be 0 for 3. What game do you want to go to next? While I look up how many games Ajax have lost in the last five, six seasons. Um, no, look, man, Liverpool, man, you know. Okay. The, 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 the streets are saying that the, that the title is over, man. The streets are saying that the title is over. And my thing, though, is it's not really about, oh, you've drawn twice, City have won twice, they now have this, what was it called? It's like a, it's a, a four-point gap, two points, six, six points. It's what the team looks like, especially without Mane, with your boy Darwin up in our piece. And how um, uh, I'm just—it's you're just seeing that this could just be the fairly early sense that there could be somewhat of a of a drop off. Mm. And I think this was a season which Klopp Klopp needed a massive makeover. As sometimes your boy Klopp could be a bit too loyal, you know, a little bit too loyal, you know. So it's looking tricky. It's looking real tricky, bro. Four and a half seasons, sixteen losses in the league. Oh wow. So I think Liverpool and these two games have looked unconvincing is the word I think I guess I would use. Salah looks a little bit off it. I don't know if that's pressure from new contract, just started the season jitters. I don't know what it is, but he's missed a few chances where I'm like, ah, Salah normally scores that one. Trent's been okay. Robertson looks a bit not himself. I don't know. He uh, the midfield is obviously a problem with all the injuries. Thiago goes out against Fulham and, you know, they don't have backup. So they're playing, you know, Milner in the year of our Lord 2022. That's not good. Nunez. Nunez is just funny and funny bad. Like it's funny good if you, I guess, if you're a rival fan, but just some of the things he does, he miscontrols. He passes when he should shoot. He shoots when he should pass. Some of those things I think can be ironed out with coaching, but 
I don't know. It just looks it looks difficult to your point that you said, I don't know from when, but it's been a while. Salah might be their best player or one of their best players. You might say Van Dyke is like 1A, 1B, whatever it is. But Mane was their most important because when things when 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 the chips were down, as they say, he he was the one to come up clutch with goals, assists, getting fouled in the box for a penalty, just doing things that win you points and games. And I think you see without him that that's kind of left in the hands of Diaz. To his credit, like the goal that he scored was really good. Ten men, you know, dribbled through a few players. Guaita didn't really have a chance. I don't know if he didn't see the ball or if the shot was just too, too good. But you would like to have another guy, not just Diaz, you know. And Mane is that guy. So it's going to be interesting to see what Klopp does, what the adjustments are. Now that Nunes is going to be out for three games, I think. If a straight reds, I don't think it's a one-game suspension. I think he's out for three. They looked better. I mean, this is like a damning, this is an indictment, we could say, of Nunes. That Liverpool looked far better with 10 than with him on the pitch. Like, you could make the argument Palace would have been better off without the sending off. Because the sending off gave them, they look confused. So do we go for it or do we sit in our shape? And they elected to sit in their shape, which I thought was a little bit of a mistake. You have an extra human on the pitch, dominate the possession, keep the ball, make Liverpool run for it, chase it, tire them out. And then maybe 80 minutes, Vieira gives one of those, like now now that you can do multiple substitutions, you put on three, four guys, however many you have, and you just run out of tired Liverpool who've been chasing the game for 30 minutes, however however long it's been. But no, they sat in their shape. Liverpool took advantage, passed the ball around. You would say, other than the Zaha chance, Crystal Palace didn't really make their extra man advantage count like that. But if you would have given Vieira a point before the game, I'm sure he'd have ripped your hand off for it. So I would throw back to you, though, Nunes. And I don't know if you saw the clip of him and Anderson, of how Anderson just basically wound him up the whole game, pushing him shoving him, getting into his body, just being a nuisance, and how, I don't know, Nunez's temper just kind of boiled over. Do you think this is something that he can get out of his game? I don't know, feeling as if he's bullied and having to react, or is that just a young player being a young player and he'll be all right? Like, what is your what, what was your thoughts on, on that red card? It's one of those things of, like, when his second game, second competitive game for Liverpool, it's at Anfield, mm. home debut. You know you're hyped. You're young and you're and you're very very hyped. So I think it can easily be ironed out. And I think if Klopp just has to have a conversation with him or rather, bro, you can't. You know you just have to always remain cool because if you keep doing this, guys will then target you, mm. and they will target you for your frust- frustration because you know high level football people will use every little bit to try to say what's up to you. you know? So, but I think to the game, I'm look, see, everyone said that this Darwin thing didn't make any sense, man. This signing did not make any sense, but you were like, what's tick? Trust and Klopp. Trust and Klopp. Tick, 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 tick. Let's see. <laughs> you know, let's see. But I, <laughs> I, I, I just, because for me, that's first half. I've never seen Liverpool hit so many wayward crosses into the box. Trent was trolling crosses. Just boom, boom, boom. <laughs> trolling and I, crosses. And I was like, wait a minute. I said, why can't I say, aha, no Firmino, no Mane. 
Because with Firmino and Mane, yes, they are crosses, but you now have a central threat. So yeah. you can put the ball down. Firmino can receive it coming deep and then start threading balls into Salah and Mane. But Diaz doesn't really Diaz isn't doesn't have the kind of craftiness that Mane has. Like Diaz, he's skillful and everything, but there's something about Mane where he just finds ways in a very unorthodox way just to find space, which Diaz yeah. I don't think can do as well as him. And Firmino and um Darwin, they're totally different players. Like Firmino is like a number 10. So having a Thierry Henry-esque kind of complete striker number 10 dude in a Firmino as opposed to just like a target man. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, bro, chill out. (laughs) Did you just put Firmino and Thierry Henry in the same? No, no, no. Oh, no, no, wait, wait, look. (laughs) Firmino is nowhere near... Near on risk, but make that crystal clear, bro. Oh, no, 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 no. Look, look any on, unless I'm mad on drugs, you know, but <laughs> it's we're just looking at types. Basically, there's a drug bar type striker, there's an only type striker. Doesn't mean like basically, Darwin basically perfect. Darwin Nunes is a drug bar type striker. Um, <sighs> Femin is a only time type striker. Darwin is nowhere in the vicinity of drug bar, Femin is nowhere in the stratosphere of honoring, but they are that type of a striker. Oh, One guy wow. is direct, targets man, plays this back to, to goal, shoots first, boom. Another guy can create, is good in the ball, can dribble, is much more mobile and occupies different positions. So those are two very different strikers, you know. So Drogba had tech, though. No, like Henry. <laughs> but he had, like, that's why I don't want Drogba in the same sentence as Nunes either. <laughs> like, but I'm, no, no, I'm, no, no, no. Look, I said, no. I just, get it, but I'm like, I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, they, I understand, just, but I don't those agree. Types. No, look, look, bro, look, come on. They, these these guys can't. There have to be more types than just two. Henri and for me, I don't even. Okay. Anyway, let, let's, let's. No, no, let's no, no, but it's like. It's not that Firmino is like Henri. Is that I know? I know that's the type but of it's just like you got to come up with a better example than that one. But, that, what, but whatever, what other example is there? Harry Kane might be a better example for Firmino, like somebody who wants to drop deep and play in the ten. That's not overly athletic. No, no, no. no. And then, no, but you can use any name, but it's just that the I just think of like the two guys that's best thing is is Drogba and Henri. So when I say I hear Kane. You. I don't agree, but I type striker. It's not that Kane is as good as Honorary, but that is the kind of profile. Mm-hmm. That's the word. The, the, it's the Honorary profile, the Drogba profile, which is okay. that that is how you play. You don't do it as well as them, but that is the kind of way in which you approach that position. So, gotcha. Okay. Boy Darwin, it's like you know, homeboy. Darwin, <laughs> Darwin is a bad name, bro. <laughs> Look, Charles Darwin, I don't know, man. This is the I don't know, bro. Also, you know, like you have to have your first touch, man. You have to have, have your first touch, bro. It's true. You I know. was thinking when I was watching the game, this is just a throwaway point. This mm. would have been a good game for Origi to come on and maybe do something, but that, that's yeah. just a throwaway point. Um, speaking of first touch, though, Zaha. I said Zaha's been the best player, not in the top six for the past five years after he scored the goal. And it was a really good goal, actually. Eze found him well. He beat, I suppose, the offside trap. Was it Phillips? I think that he ran past. Van Dyke couldn't get there. Slotted past Allison. 1-0. But he could have had two or three. 
there was one where the ball came like I guess too quickly and he tried to go at it with the wrong foot like he tried to hit it with the outside of his right foot instead of taking it with the inside of his left I guess as a right-footed player you can kind of be like okay I understand why you would do that but Crystal Palace had a lot of opportunities where if they just <laughs> if you related to FIFA if they just pressed the right buttons at the right time and worked out the counterattack properly they score but they just couldn't work out where where the next where, where, where the killer pass was i thought eze was good he over dribbled in some instances he plays for nigeria correct like england haven't taken him or what's going on there i don't i don't comment on this the social social political anymore man so <laughs> are we gonna need a, a another world cup cycle he he doesn't have an international cap yet hh as I said again, I don't. I know what you're saying, but you need to like make a campaign. Like this guy can't play for England, surely. Although he's 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 no, played. I don't for, comment on the Super Eagles. You don't have to comment. Experience. You can just listen. Wow, he had part of his youth career was at Millwall. I wonder how that went. Um, <laughs> so he's played for England under twenty, England under twenty ones. He hasn't played international football since twenty twenty one. So Nigerian FA. If you want to do something to maybe help get people like have vote back offside, maybe try it. You know what? I'm going to use this as an opportunity to transition. Shout out Crystal Palace. Shout out Patrick Vieira. Really good result for them. Although maybe with the man extra for 30 minutes, you might think you could have done better. But it was Anfield. I have a suggestion. I want to know what you think about this before we go on break. What if Chelsea said, okay, Palace, you can have Connor Gallagher who I call Billy Eilish, but you can have Conor Gallagher. We'll give him to you, but we want Eze in return. Would you take that deal? 1,000%, 100%, of course. Why like, are they like, going for no Anthony? Of course it is. Why are they going for Anthony Gordon? They're not going for Anthony Gordon. That's not happening. So don't, 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 they bid twice. I saw on ESPN today, they, Chelsea have bid twice for Anthony Gordon. I'm like, if you want a winger, Crystal Palace are desperate for Gallagher. They have Odise, they have Zaha. They're, they're okay in wide areas. But go after Eze. It makes too much sense. He's a dribbler. He won't have to move too far. Or even Odise if you want it because he's left-footed and Chelsea maybe need another lefty. But it would make almost too much sense to give them Gallagher. Maybe with the midfield injuries, they wouldn't want to do that. But they're going after midfielders anyway. They bought uh, Chukua Mecca. So they have guys. They're buying some guy from Italy whose name I can't pronounce that starts with two C's or he, his initials are two C's. He's in the Milan under some things. The Inter, did I say Milan? In the Inter under some things. I'm like, bro, like, I know you guys like Conor Gallagher because do I, must, must I explain? <laughs> Passion, desire, running, you know, he has the look. But Give him to Palace for one of those wingers, man. I'd even take Zaha. Chelsea need goals from forward areas. You know, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Chelsea being annoying, okay? All right, we're back. Half hope. Talk to me about Chelsea, man. You know, no forward player has scored a goal for Chelsea yet. Yeah, so Darwin has one goal. Haaland has two goals. Jesus has two goals. Sterling has zero. Not just st- what about Havertz? What about Mount? What about Pulisic? What about all these other dudes? Don't just put it on Raheem. 
That's not no, 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 no. Look, but 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 here's the thing, though. People said, "Hey, Sterling is a great buy. Like, half. Why aren't you excited? You're buying an England international, a guy who did." I said, "Sorry, Sterling is washed." Well, mm. this is Man City's sloppy circles. I always wanted Jesus. Jesus was the guy that yes. How is Jesus? Well, Jesus would also be then sloppy seconds, no? Sloppy. There's there's <laughs> sloppy seconds and washed. There's sloppy seconds that shouldn't be sloppy seconds. Jesus is sloppy seconds that shouldn't be. Sending is sloppy seconds that should be. Oh wow! So okay. that's that's the thing. Like, bro, look at how good. And I, I knew Jesus was this good. So yeah. he, what are you doing for Arsenal? I said, no, I, I always knew he was good. I always knew he was good. Pep was, was holding him back. Yeah. Sterling, he can't dribble. Chelsea have a front line where not a single player can dribble. Nobody it's, can beat him, man. Sterling can so, dribble. It's just not great he, he, dribbling. He can't dribble. He can't. No. It's, it's not JJ. It's not Ronaldinho. It's not Neymar. We understand that. But it's better than Werner. It's better than Pulisic. It's better than... You're already uh, comparing anything to Werner. Ziyech cool. is better than it's better than Mount. It's better like he's the best dribbler. Maybe maybe Hudson Odoi, mm. but he's the best dribbler at the club that plays in forward areas. Obviously, Kovacic is number one. But I'm not saying you're wrong. That that that's why I'm like go after Eze, go after Olise, go after Zaha, go at like like Palace. Obviously, I I wouldn't call him sloppy seconds as yet. You might be right, but I'm not. I'm not willing to go there just yet, because again, I feel if you put just about any attacker with Tuchel, he's not going to look great because it's just a consequence of how Chelsea play, which is defensive to a fault, taking advantage of wide areas with wing backs, and anything that goes through the middle or the center, whether it be your forwards or the number tens, they're going to struggle to get touches enough touches to create chances. And if you don't create chances, every chance comes at a premium, which is why the Havertz miss was bad, which is why the Sterling chance that he missed was bad. But it's like in Man City, you'll get three of those in a game. At Chelsea, you get one and you need to score it every time. And I can't ask Sterling to be that clinical. Like every chance you get, you have to score. That's not realistic, but that's what's required at Chelsea right now is if you get a chance, it has to be a goal. Otherwise, you don't know where the next one's going to come from. To the game, though, I didn't think I didn't I don't think Chelsea played poorly. I don't think they played great. I think mostly Tottenham just basically got the game that they wanted. Although Chelsea controlled the ball, I think Spurs controlled the game. Tottenham wanted Chelsea to have the ball. And because that's what they wanted, I'm saying they had control. Whether or not I agree with that method, I think that's what Conte was about. Like, we'll let Chelsea have the ball. And hopefully we can get some counterattacking opportunities. They never really came. There was one that Kane had, I think, in the second half where he missed a 1v1 that he shouldn't have. But I thought Spurs went to Stamford Bridge and got the game that they wanted. They were helped out by the referee. Two pretty bad refereeing decisions. <laughs> the the, the Betancourt one and obviously uh, Kukurea's hair being pulled in the box. But Spurs did what they had to do in order to get a result. Chelsea, on the other hand, they had the ball, so it looked good. It looked like, oh, Chelsea, they're dominating possession. They're passing it around, making triangles, one-touch football. But to what end? You're crossing the ball to five foot seven Raheem Sterling. Is that, that the that, plan, That's what Aubameyang is needed. That's what Aubameyang is needed, bro. Get that thing done, bro. If you had to make some solutions, 
what is the first thing you would do if you could wave a magic wand? And like, I need this one thing fixed. What would it be? Two things. The magic wand only works once. Oh, fuck that, man. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> if, if um, I would say a creative playmaker and a finisher, a clinical finisher and a playmaker, because the defense is fine. Chelsea are very hard to score against. Those two goals came from that moron, Jorginho. And second one, lapse in concentration, even if it shouldn't be given. But again, if Jorginho isn't brainless, that's Chelsea win the game. <laughs> so, see, the midfield is tricky because Kante. So you might need, because Jorginho can't be trusted, can't say too many injuries. So all you have is Kovacic. So you may need another midfielder, but... Chelsea will look so different if you have a clinical finisher and a creative player, a guy who can dribble and actually can find a pass. Why is clinical so important on the finishing? Like, why why that adjective? Clinical is, give me that chance, I will put it away. A good finisher can be, you know, it's a guy who, oh, wow, that, oh, that, that's, a, that's a nice goal, quality goal. Yeah, you can get 15, 16 goals. Clinical is... I've not had a sniff for most of this this game. I have that one opportunity in the whole game for like 80 minutes of that in the whole game. Just my one opportunity. I have it. Boom. Goal. Peak Torres. Clinical. What's also called? Henri was a damn good finisher. He wasn't clinical. Like Henri's game was, he was just such an amazing player. He was not a clinical finisher. He was, no, sorry. He wasn't a clinical finisher. He was a damn good finisher because he scored amazing goals. He wasn't clinical. Peak Torres. Clinical. Etzo. Piquetso, clinical. The guys where you give them a, just give them a sniff over. Like Torres, you give Torres a 1v1, that's a goal. Like go, go to bed, sleep. It's, 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 it's a goal. Henri 1v1, it's not, it's not that sure. 100% pick Torres, give him 1v1, that's a freaking goal. So that's chance that Havertz had. Aubameyang scores that. He scores that. I don't chance. think that chance, it, it was a bad miss, but it wasn't, it, it doesn't change the game any. Because the game was already 1-1, wasn't it? So Havertz misses the Reese James chance. And then two, three minutes later, James scores. So Chelsea scored two minutes later. It's just, it's, it's, it's a stick with which to beat Havertz. Like, bro, you need to finish that one. James shouldn't need to score the go-ahead goal, the 2-1. Because that should have already been taken care of by the attacker. But... I feel like that that miss is a little bit blown out of proportion when I've been listening to these Chelsea recaps. But I do understand your point about clinical. No, 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 but, but, but I think it's not. It's, I think forget about the concept of the game. Just it's in the wider context. Havertz is not a Havertz is not a finisher to begin with. He's not so happy to even be clinical when his main thing isn't finishing. He's playing. He's a guy that plays behind a striker. If you're not relying on him to now finish, you're mad. You you're, see, you're I, crazy. I've I've seen a lot of people, and again, when I say people, I mean the timeline say that Chelsea need not just a finisher, but a clinical finisher. Chelsea fans say clinical because they understand that chances at the football club are at a premium. The club don't create enough chances so a finisher can miss. They have to be clinical. They have to score the chance because there there aren't enough coming. It's not Manchester City. It's not Liverpool, at least good Liverpool. It's not... Bayern or just any of those clubs where or PSG where chances are going to come you're going to get four or five big chances maybe not big you're going to get like three or four big chances in a game at Chelsea if you get one or two 
if you get one, it's like, ooh, like this is good. Like we're playing good football. <laughs> and the striker can't miss. So when James hits Havertz and it's right in front of the goal on his left foot, you're thinking he has to score. Because if he doesn't, where's the, where's the winning goal coming from? So he misses and everybody's like, ah. But then James, they, they, like, they, they figure it out, mostly because Spurs switched their formation and they play 4-2-4. So there's nobody out there for James who's now a wingback. So there's just acres and miles of space after Chelsea have loaded the pitch on the other side. So that's more Spurs' mistake than Chelsea playing well. But, you know, you have to take advantage where you take advantage. Again, if I was to wave the magic wands, it's definitely a formation change. And I want 4-3-3. But one of the reasons, and you touched on it, and again, I don't want to get stuck on Chelsea. So this will be my last point. If you want to keep going, you can. But um, the Conte injury is not good. And this is something I've been saying for years at this point. I think I looked on my Twitter account. I've been saying it at least for two, three years maybe even three or four. Do you remember those debates we used to have when Sari was around about like, what is Conte's actual position? So you'd have the the pundits on Sky and BT or wherever talking about Conte is a DM. He needs to play as a DM. And people who actually watch the game would tell you Conte is not a DM. He's not some static player who sits in front of a back four or five and protects them. At Leicester, he played in a two-man midfield. With Conte, he played in a two-man midfield. A roaming destroyer, box to box. He would find the ball, give it to the, whether it's Mares, whether it's Fabregas, whether it's whomever. And they would find the next pass, and sometimes it would lead to a goal. A lot of times it would stop the, the opponent from scoring. So he's not a static DM in the kind of Busquets sense of, of DM. I think he needs to become what people have always said he was in they were wrong but he needs to become that now uh, the obvious example is always makalele because they're french they play for chelsea they're black they're 5 foot 7 like it just looks as if that's what you should be that's not what kanté has been he hasn't been in the makalele role circa 2005 6 7 chelsea like that's not what he's been but if he wants to prolong his career he can't keep doing this box-to-box, seek-and-destroy, go-get-every-loose-ball, press-crazy. He can't. The reason that France, have been able, the France, Chelsea, have been able to get away with these two-man midfields is because Conte has essentially been doing the work of two people. So you get like a three-man midfield with more defensive solidity or an extra attacker if you want it. But that can't happen anymore because Conte's body is clearly betraying him. I think he's played, I don't know if he's played even over 25 games in the last three seasons based on muscle injuries. It's, it was, it's to be expected. So the solution for me is you make Conte a static DM, or at least you try it. Whether or not it works is its own business. But if you want to prolong Conte's career, or if he wants to prolong it, he has to play something like Makalele or Busquets or his own interpretation of whatever that static DM6 is. That's what he has to be. So you combine that with Chelsea need more attackers in attacking areas centrally. 
So you put Conte at the base of a 4-3-3, and then you have the two midfielders ahead of him. I would put Loftus-Cheek and probably Mason Mount in those areas. If you're playing a big team, obviously you want Kovacic in there. But if you're playing smaller teams or just teams that you think that you can have some joy against, Loftus-Cheek, Mount, maybe Gallagher could show himself. And then you find actual wingers in wide areas, whether it's Pulisic, Hudson-Odoi, Sterling. And then your clinical striker can play up top. So I think all of those things combined together. My magic wand is Tuchel gets it in his head. You need a formation change. 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, whichever way. Anything you want to build on that? Or I know I was rambling. I mean, no, 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 makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, you know, like he, he, he's older. Mm-hmm. He has to readjust. And I think that McLeodie role makes sense for a guy who just has all these injuries and can't keep running. Yeah, he starts the ground the way he's been running to the ground, man. So, oh, this is what I wanted to ask you though. Do you think he's technical enough to play there? Because that 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 would be everyone's big hurdle. Busquets can do that and do that basically forever because the level of technical ability that Busquets had is that Busquets has is almost unrivaled for people that play that position. Do you think if you put Conte as a lone DM with two ahead? And obviously being flanked by two center backs. Do you think when when you know the, the center backs split and Mendy passes him the ball, do you think his technique is good enough not to be pressed, tackled, lose the ball in transition, leading to goals? Like, do you think he's that good? Like, I think he can do it, but I think it would take a little uh, bit mean, of work. You see, when McClellan was doing it, guys weren't pressing the way they were pressing now. That's the yeah. And also like McClellan, like when you look at McClellan, it's he gets it, gives it, gets it, gives it. <laughs> Busquets has insane ability. Press so resistance, yeah. You can have two, three guys. He'll just make you go left. He'll go right. And just knows how to just get out of trouble in like two, three moves. Mm-hmm. Can't say can't do that. So, yeah, it's tricky. Because now, this... if 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 because if, if you target him and press him, Kante doesn't have the ability to get to beat a, a press like that. So See, now this is this is where I'm saying I think his journey with Chelsea has to end if he wants his career to keep going. I don't know if Chelsea have time for him to learn how to play that way. It would actually it would be easier just to go get De Jong to do that, especially because Barca need the money. Like I, I think at instances this season, you try it there, maybe in the FA Cup or League Cup, when whenever he gets his fitness back, you try it and you see, is this something that has promise? Like, can he surprise us with his level of technical ability? I think he'll surprise some, but maybe not to the extent where we can do this for a whole season and this is part of our game plan. And if that's the case, I think you just let him go and he finds a place where they're willing to give him time to do that. But I think for Conte's sake, like if I was advising him, I'm like, you need to really practice (laughs) on receiving the ball, half turn, you know, avoiding pressure, finding quick passes really adjusting your game to what it's like in a 31, 32-year-old body. You can't do what you were doing at 25, 26 anymore. And to expect him to do that from Tuchel, Deschamps, whoever, has always been madness to me of just, oh, we're just going to run Conte out there. Do you not care? And we're at that point where I think all of those, all of those receipts are, are coming back. Sorry, playing him in stupid games or Conte or Lampard or Deschamps selecting him for summer tournaments when it's unnecessary. Like, does he need to be playing in the Nations League? No. Chickens come home to roosts, as as Malcolm reminds me. 
Um, let's go quickly to the continent. Barcelona, they drew. Madrid, they were losing to Almeria. Yeah, 1-0. I watched the game. They won 2-1. Lukaku scored on his debut. Werner scored on his debut. Um, what what from the continent tickled you? Um, I mean, I mean, no, La, La Liga is looks interesting, you know. I think mm. to see what Real and Barca are gonna do. Jao Felix, if this is supposed to be the Jao Felix breakout season where he really now sort of understands how Atletico works, be then it could be in for a very interesting season of all three of these teams trying to say what's up. I saw a stat today that said La Liga had the most time of any league. I think they averaged like 99 minutes a game. But the ball was in play the least, like under an hour of actual playing time. I thought that was interesting. Because La Liga is normally a league where you think, oh, no, the game goes, the game flows, like it's they're playing football. But no, it was a bunch of time wasting, which I find interesting. You know what? One big story left. What's going on at PSG? You tell me. I mean, <laughs> the lips. I, th- I think they say that they have sorted it out and so forth. But yeah, man, look, I mean, it, it, this, it was always going to happen. You know, you mm-hmm. have three huge superstars, two huge egos in Neymar and Mbappe. If you're Gartier, you have to you have to find a way to sort that out because you can't just be a football guy. You have to also be a man manager, you know. And the good question is because if you can get three of them to somehow come to together, they will be unstoppable. But if he can't, that's where things are going to be really, really tricky, man. I just, I just don't think Galtier is, is the... He's good, but I just think he has the personality. This is always his Zidane or a Mourinho job. You know, because mm. you need, like, a big personality to handle big personalities. Neymar left Barcelona, we think, at least in part, because he was underneath... He was in Messi's shadow. And he left, he went to PSG, and he became the guy. But what also happened that summer is they loaned Mbappe from Monaco. Eventually, they bought him. And I always thought, eventually, it, because we all knew Mbappe was that guy. Like, he was, he was the next one, whatever that means. Eventually, Mbappe is going to feel the same way about Neymar that Neymar felt about Messi. I think I'm better than you, but it's still your team? How is that? I'm I'm nice. Like I'm 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 him. Why am I under your shadow? Obviously, the game we all remember, the PSG comeback where Neymar has probably the best seven minutes any footballer's played in the last 20 years. And the lasting image of that one is Messi in front of the, the Barcelona crowd with his hand. It's just like, yo, like imagine being Neymar reading the paper, like, yo, like, so I didn't score the penalty, so I didn't make that free kick, so I didn't find that assist to Roberto. Like, what's going on? Like, how is it still him? All right, so I guess I need to leave. Mbappe now is in that place, even though he's a, he's, a, he's in a better political standing because of the, the, the lengths that PSG have gone to to retain him. I think he feels these two dudes are holding on. Then they bring Messi. I mean, that's its own dynamic. But I feel like Messi, Messi's there, but I don't think he's necessarily a problem. I think this is really the dynamic between Mbappe, Neymar, and whose team is this? And Mbappe's like, I'm entrenched here. Like, I just rejected Madrid. I'm not leaving. So you guys need to play through me. Like, they've basically decided it's my team. Even though you two are here, like, you're here to help me. That's the feeling I get from Mbappe anyway. 
and to his credit, he's the one who scores the goals. You would say, you know, he's he's in the Ballon d'Or shortlist. They're not even there. On, on some level, you might be able to say he could feel that way. And it's not off base. I don't know. I just get the sense that the, that the dynamic between Neymar and Mbappe, they might be amicable to an extent. I don't think they're like enemies or anything. But there's always going to be petty things in teams of like, who's the guy? Whose team is this? And I feel like we've reached a point where... Mbappe wants it to be well understood that PSG is me with other guys, you know, killing Mbappe with Neymar and Messi, not Neymar with Messi and Mbappe or Messi with Neymar and Mbappe. Like it's my team. And as long as there's confusion about that or some speculation about that, I think he's always going to feel away and it's going to bubble over in certain instances where he's just going to like, man, fuck. So you're just not going to pass to me? Like, bro, I'm open. And he stops. Crazy thing is, if he kept running, he scores because Hakimi's cross goes to the far post. So if he just keeps running, he scores a goal. <laughs> but he just gave up. So do you think there's there's like team dynamics or interpersonal dynamics at play? Or is just Mbappe just in his ego for no reason? Everything has happened how we all knew it was going to happen in a sense of you give Mbappe that crazy contract. This is always, always going to happen. You can't give a guy so young that makes the contrast what was supposed to happen was Mbappe goes to Real Madrid but PSG is this anomaly an outlier that has mm-hmm. unbalanced football so they can offer things that make no sense <laughs> and there are no checks and, and balances as to how much they can offer so PSG is this unbalancing act that just has ruptured everything in, in the in time space so continues you, you now have this situation with Mbappe he has so much money so the ego will, will, will grow so it's a monster it's hard to say Mbappe is a monster. I, I won't go that far. But I do think they've created a problem. I'll put it that way. Um, all right, so let's do these questions. We got a few. All right. Um, from Linden Boulevard, have a question. Just please discuss this on Talking Tactics. Them hating each other is awesome for the Premier League. Ah, the Conte and uh, Tuchel Beef. What did you make of their little, I hold on to your hand, you hold on to mine? No, no, it was also hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, man. I'd, I'd like to see them fight, man. It was funny. <laughs> Who do you think wins? Conte is all back, no bites. So I, I'll take Tuchel in, in a surprise win. I think Conte will be the odds-on favorite, but I think Tuchel will land a surprise below. I think I got Conte because Conte doesn't fight clean. There's no way he's gonna have something in his gloves or <laughs> something up his sleeve. Like there's, there's no way. Um, Jacks365, he has three questions. So, hi lads, Conspiracy Jacks here. Is it interesting how some media members have come out against the Glazers? Is it shit has got real actually listening to the fans after ignoring them for the last 17 years? Or someone they like looking for a bid? Or a combination of all three? So, like, do you think the Glazers, all of these people coming out in the media saying that the Glazers are the problem, blah, blah, blah. He's saying, do you think the Glazers are behind that because they want a buyer to come in? I don't think so. I think they want money. Yeah, look, and, I think it's just a money, a, a money thing, man. Yeah, Manchester United is a money-printing machine because people are going to keep buying the shirts. They're going to buy season tickets. I think people are just rightly pinpointing. We can't keep talking about the manager for 10 years. We can't keep talking about the players for 10 years. Like, who's buying the players and who's hiring the managers? There's only really one or two places you can look. That's Woodward and the Glazers. Now that Woodward's gone, like there's zero protection. Is Charles Darwin 
Y'all gotta stop calling him Charles Darwin. Is Darwin Nunes the most interesting player in the league? Like last night, his performance was legit funny. He's a hilarious footballer to watch. Is he the most interesting player in the Premier League, though? Hmm. From my money, and that's I'm biased, but what Mason Mount does to people, I find hilarious. So Mason Mount is my most interesting player in the league. I think he's a perfect test case in what being an English fan is all about, like just all the different factions of people who don't like him, like him, understand his usefulness, but kind of still don't like him. <laughs> so for me, it's Mason Mount, but that's just that's just my own, I guess, bias. Do you have an interesting player in the league? I mean, not really, but I, I am, I'm, I'm interested just to see how Darwin is going to do this season. You know, I just, just in terms of just the YouTube compilation of what he looks like on YouTube and what he, how he fits into Liverpool, I think he'll probably be the most interesting. Just in terms of how, what's he going to do? I mean, are the, after 38 games, what is the Nunes, how will the Nunes report card look like? <laughs> the Nunes report card. I don't think it's going to be that great. And he's losing three games to catch Haaland. If Haaland doesn't get a red card, he's already three games up. So we'll see. Um, can you list the Premier League managers who are good at fighting from best to worst? I will abbreviate this question. And I will say, who do you think is the best fighter out of all Premier League managers? And who do you think is the worst? So can we come up with the guy that we would want to fight most and the guy that we'd want to fight least? I'm, I'm open for suggestions. I mean, I said, look, look, Conte just looks crazy, you know. <laughs> Obviously, Sean Dyche looks like if he could box, but then he's not managing anybody so. though. The manager who I wouldn't want to fight, Patrick Vieira. Actually, I've got to say, yeah, Vieira does look tough. Vieira he's like six five, tough. six four, yeah. big dude. The manager who I would pick to fight would be Eddie Howe. Maybe I, think, I feel like I could beat up Eddie Howe. Ah, Silva from Fulham. I've got to be. I, I can. I can be. Nah, him. no. That guy looks like if he could throw a punch, man. Marco <laughs> Silva. I know who half hope would want to fight. <laughs> the off of GP. Not not even because he thinks he can beat him, but just because the Everton what? manager. <laughs> oh 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 that oh that dude. <laughs> <laughs> Just just because. Um, the streets told me they were supposed to be on the rise over there at Old Trafford. Uh, yeah, man, sometimes the streets get it wrong, man. From forward, what are, your, what are some of your favorite player rivalries um, or favorite rivalries between players and or managers, not clubs? Uh, that felt kind of personal, can be any sport. So favorite rivalries. Favorite rivalries that felt personal. Hmm. I think Mourinho. Oh, no, oh, no. Mourinho Pep for sure. Oh, you you go with Mourinho Pep over Mourinho Wenger. Oh, I feel sure. like Mourinho, no, Mourinho Wenger was, was personal, bro. Yeah, no, no, Mourinho Pep. I think was that that was, I think Mourinho Wenger became personal between both, but Mourinho was more about getting into Pep's head. I think Pep was he didn't want a rivalry, but Mourinho just sort of forced him into it. You know, so after a big seventy-five plus sale, what's the best course of action for a club? One big signing, like a replacement or otherwise two to three medium signings or four smaller signings. I feel like we've seen a bunch of approaches in the wake of Neymar, Bale, Suarez, etc. So if you make a huge sale, what would you rather do? Go back and get a big replacement of one person? I don't know if I have a really good example for that one. Um, the, the Neymar sale, they got two essentially. So they've got Dembele and Coutinho. 
And then Bale, if you remember what Spurs did with the money where they went out and they got like seven dudes. Soldado, Chadley, Erickson might have been in that number. Paulinho, was Paulinho in that one? Kira Kesh? Some of the, I don't know. If you were a manager or sporting director, what would be your approach? If you make a huge sale, what do you do? It depends. If I know, I if I can identify a really amazing player, I'll spend the bulk of it there. If not, my thing is, it's just spend it wisely. You know, either you have this truly amazing player who that's the only piece you need and your team can be amazing, or you're building a team and you just have to just be aware that, okay, these five or six players that I, I, I get is going to form an amazing team. So it basically it all depends on your scouting. So, uh, Dr. Joe, just saw that Klopp blamed a witch for making things go against them recently in a post-match interview. One, whatever happened to saying we were bad today or I made mistakes with the tactics slash lineup. Man's out here blaming Juju, LOL. Is that the title challenge over for Liverpool? So Klopp, he's blamed a witch and a dry pitch so far. So I wonder what next week's excuse is going to be. Um, <laughs> it's got to rhyme. Witch, pitch, I have an obvious like, one. Maybe like... What's it called? Christian like kicks someone in the head and says, I, I, I blame the stitch on someone's head. I was thinking one that started with the B, but I'm like, how could you even do that? Um, is that the title challenge over for Liverpool? I mean, no, but it's not great. Obviously, you've dropped four points to teams that you would have thought you get six from. So that's not good. I remember last year, was it Arsenal lost their first two games and got really close to their objective? It's not over. It's just bad. Real ADAJ3. Shout out to the questions, guys. Um, do you think the game would be more interesting if we had the option to change camera angles we see on demand during a match? For example, getting to watch from a goal line perspective or a ground level view. This is like a kind of a TV spectator kind of question. So like... I like that dog out view. No, that dog out view would be really good though. I like that view. You, you like watching from the ground, like ground level? How the manager views the game. Because basically, you know, I think sometimes you have this thing called like the red bus where you can like go into different views. So I think to have more camera angles would be good. I, I would like seeing all 22 to where you see the whole pitch, like as if you're sitting on top of the stadium, not directly above the pitch, a little bit angled off. But like, I would like to see all 22 a little bit more. I'm sure that's how most scouts and People watch the game just so you can see how the formation is changing and things like that. I'd like that. And I think they do have that option in the States. I haven't explored it, but I think there is like an all 22 camera. The thing I want most is the mute commentary button. Can we get that function? Please. You mute commentary, but you keep the ambiance of the stadium. So Martin Tyler and Gary Neville are saying whatever they're saying about Liverpool and Manchester United. You hit a button, you mute them, but you keep the ambiance of Old Trafford or Anfield or wherever it is. And it's almost as if you've bought a ticket and you're just sitting there listening to the Anfield crowd sing their songs or Old Trafford chant about the Glazers or whatever it may be. So that's the feature I want if I could bring something to football spectating. I don't need to hear Ian Dark and Martin Tyler and Peter Drury and those guys. I'm good. I know who has the ball. I probably know what they're going to do with it before you do. So I'm good. I watch this. 
I understand some people need commentary because they don't know who the players are. So that's fine. But what annoys me most is actually color commentary. <laughs> like the Neville dudes or whoever that guy is, whoever the color commentator is, like they're mostly annoying. I can deal with like just single commentary. Like if Peter Drury's just announcing the game himself without color, I can kind of get over that because the guy's not talking straight through the thing. But anyway, do you have any suggestions of how you would improve football on TV in general before we get out of here? Oh, no, no, I think I think those yeah, basically mute commentary, more camera angles, like more ways of viewing the game mm. and meeting it. But I think the whole camera angle thing, I think that's a really good good one to, to view more angles. All right. This has been Talking Tech this podcast. We thank you guys for listening. We will see you guys next week. My name is Daniel. Half Hope, who are you? Where are you? Halfofootballhots.com, baby. Indeed. There's somebody speeding down the street here. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. All the links are in the description. Talking Tactics Podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed. Peace. Peace out. Sports Social Podcast Network.